Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. How's it going, everybody? I hope you've been enjoying these lacrosse conversations as much as I have. For more content like this, check out these resources. A lacrosse weekend, my weekly blog comes out on Saturdays. You can subscribe at jm3blog.com. The JM3 Sports YouTube channel has been upgraded with a ton of great content. Please subscribe and check it out. I think you'll like it. And then last is the Coaches Training Program, our most updated and cutting-edge content, all the principles-based lacrosse stuff, plus hundreds of webinars, endless drills, and a really cool office hours component that allows coaches to come on and interact, watch film, talk lacrosse, do Q&A. I think you'll really like it. Um, I hope you all have a great 2023 and so glad it's lacrosse season. How's it going, everybody? Really excited to welcome Ryan Poley to the Philacrosophy Podcast. Ryan's the head coach at BU. And uh, Ryan, really fired up to have you on the show. How are you doing? I'm awesome, Jamie. Thanks for having me. You know, I had a blast the first time. You know, huge fan of yours. And uh, thanks for growing the game and thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Hey, it's lacrosse season. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's How good is that? It's so... Yeah, it's so exciting. I mean, it's the, uh, you know, I think we're fortunate enough to have pretty, uh, you know, in, in in-depth fall. So you get to spend a lot of time with your guys and work on skills and, um, you know, develop the player, but it's, you know, I'm a, I'm a big football guy and schemes and it's nice to get back and, and start thinking about opponents and how to defend and how to score and, you know, how to, you know, get your team to be as efficient as possible. So it's exciting, you know, top 20s coming out, all American stuff coming out, all conference. So it's a, it's a great time of year and, and we're really excited to you for the upcoming season. So great, man. Um, isn't it so weird being in season and, and, and just the, it's like an existence that you can't really describe to people. There's a preseason existence where it's kind of the calm before the storm. And then there's the existence where it's just like you have games and then the existence between games. And uh, there's just nothing like it. Yeah, I, w- I would even give it a little bit more of, of a schedule with you have your fall. And sometimes when you're in the fall, the first game seems so far away. Mm-hmm. And you're, you know, you're you're building towards that. And you want to make sure that you're hitting cer- certain milestones. And um, at BU, we're, the fall is a huge player development time. So, um, you know, that's our main focus. But you also, if, if you wait till you know, January to put everything in, you don't have enough time. So you're putting things in, but you're also developing a player. And then kind of once January hits, I mean, the season is, you know, you get three weeks, but you typically, you know, we had a scrimmage one weekend. So you're kind of prepping for the scrimmage. And then we have a week off to work on ourselves and we have going over this weekend. So it really ramps up quick. And then, as you said, you're into games and it's almost rinse and repeat and then do it over and over for 14, 15 weeks. So it's, and the season goes so fast. Oh my God, you blink and it's you're crazy. midway through the season yeah, and you're in conference play and, you know, you're, you're trying to position yourself for, you know, your postseason tournament. So it, it, it's really, it's, it's a pretty unique sport that, it goes as quickly as it does. There's a lot of buildup and then it goes super quickly. 
Yeah. And it's an outdoor winter sport, you know, for at least the first half of the yeah. season. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we've been super lucky. It's been a really mild winter. Uh, we're supposed to have some weather. We were talking, you know, before we hopped on the, on the podcast about going down to Villanova and on, unsure of what the weather is going to look like and open up in Vermont, uh, in Burlington. So it is what it is. You know, that's why yeah. we, we have under, under armor cold gear and our guy get used to it. And, um, you know, I think your blood gets a little bit thicker, you know, over the four years and you just go outside and you grin, and you bear it and, yeah. um, you get done with what you got to get done. So it's usually fine. It's, it's just the opposite of football where it starts warm and ends cold and yeah. you guys start yeah. cold and end warm. Yeah. And it's an interesting, you know, depending on how the season goes, sometimes, you know, when you're playing in your conference tournaments, it might be the f- one of the first hot days that you had. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a challenge where you might only play two games, you know, over 70, and then all of a sudden you're staring down a, a 90 degree day. So it, it, it is yeah. challenging to kind of climatize your time. Climate, and you just want to be playing in the hot weather more than anything in the world. Yeah, uh, exactly. Out of the best, you know. The hotter the better, and you know that you're having a good season if you're playing in some really hot weather. Totally. Hey, um, I have a question. We're talking about sort of preparing for a season, and I know that you've got the whole player development stuff in the fall, which I would like to touch on. But before that, how do you go about planning um, for what you're going to install from a team perspective? Just like what's – you know, if there's high school coaches on this – how, yeah. how should they look at, okay, you know, figuring out what you're going to do and then how you're going to install it? How do you think about that? How do you plan that? We have a huge spreadsheet and it changes a little bit per year. And we call it our impl- implementation. And we start, you know, we do the days that we're practicing. We have our days off and then we kind of put it in columns. We have offensive things to get in, ride clear, defense, face off. Um, you know, special situations. And then we basically have a list of things that we want to get in for Vermont, our first game. And then we work backwards and some of the stuff has already been installed, but it's a review. Yeah. Um, and we start very simple on day one and we're talking transition offense and just our, 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 our basic rules. And then we're putting in, you know, our, our, a review of, uh, you know, our, our primary offenses, our primary defenses, you know, a couple of days of making sure that they're completely in. And then we move on to the next thing. We do terminology and, you know, so there's, there's a process of which we, you know, map out um, practice planning for the, for the first few weeks of the season is pretty easy because we have to hit these certain milestones and, and key points to make sure that they're in, in time. And, and we have things that we want in for the first scrimmage, then we want to add that second week, get those in for the second scrimmage. And then, you know, we're not going to have everything in, but we want the majority of the things that we're going to use this season at least touched upon so that we can utilize, uh, you know, those strategies against Vermont. And then obviously you have your game plans to, to certain individual teams, but for the most part, we try to have the majority of our, you know, concepts in, um, you know, for that first game. And, and what do you mean by work backwards? So we count the days that, that we have practices. Um, we figure out how essentially how many practices we have. And then, you know, our, our bigger concepts are we're going to spend two or three days to implement. Um, some of our smaller concepts are going to be introduced once and then we'll, we'll continue to talk about them. But just working backwards in the sense that we have 
have a list of things that we want to get in and then we place them strategically over the first three and a half weeks to just to make, make sure. sure that we at least touch upon it. and some things yeah. are going to be you know staples of our program and this is how we do things and you know you, you got to get more in the weeds with some things and then some other things are very for for example we're probably going to spend two or three days on our you know our trying to get the ball back defense and double teaming and that's got to be in and we got to practice it but we're not practicing number one it's taxing and number two you know it's in but it's not something that we need to practice every single day but you absolutely have to touch on that or yeah. 10 man ride is something that we, you know, we practice every day because that's one of our staples, you know, and same thing with our way we clear the ball and, you know, but also like a 10 man break, we don't see as many 10 mans as we see other rides. So we need to practice our, I guess, traditional clear more so than we do our 10 man clear. So just, just kind of those things, but we certainly have to have our, our 10 man clear in. And that would be something that we probably touch on two times over the course of the three and a half weeks as opposed to maybe seven or eight times of our, our base clear. Yeah. And it's, if you don't count backwards, you'll never get everything in because you'll just realize with a week left that you're way behind and you spent way yeah. too much time. Cause usually when you do the exercise of placing everything in, you realize you have to cut about 50% out of what you wanted to do and figure out how to yep. do really prioritize. Yeah, but you also you can use film and you can use for for maybe some of these other concepts where, um, you know, for example, our face off clear, you know, when a face off guy wins the ball backwards and we yeah. throw it to the goalie and then we have to get it. Well, how do we get into that? You know, you can do, you know, if we touch on that once a week, but you can also spend time in the film and, and draw it up and just, you know, yeah. you're also getting mental, mental reps as opposed to half the doing it on the field where you're right. You just run out of time. Mm -hmm. What, um, what do you sort of look at, at, as where do you put your focus on, on yourself or like, once you get into game prep, how much time is on yourself versus on your opponent? Monday is a review of the last, if I'll, I'll walk you through a week, a typical week. So we play on Saturday um coaches you know we, we we believe in family time so sunday you know some guys are going to work on their own but we don't meet as a staff um that's you know kind of sacred time and um guys need to catch up with their families and have that day off uh, i'm sure you know both coordinators are probably doing a couple hours of work in the morning just to be prepared for monday and then monday morning we watch 7 a.m every day we we watch film as a staff we watch the, we watch the game um, we review it. That's about a three-hour task. And then Monday's practice is pretty much we work on things that we need to improve upon from that game. So Monday is a uh, little bit of a shorter practice, a lot of teaching, a lot of review. And then Tuesday is all about us, We but we get after it. Like we are really – it's a hard practice. We try to um, make Tuesday's practice from a conditioning standpoint and an intensity standpoint as intense as a Saturday and then Wednesday we start turning our attention to the opponent Wednesday Thursday are big prep days uh, for opponent and then Friday is just kind of like a, a, a we call it fast Friday we try to be on the field for an hour go you know hit our hit our energy systems and, and be really quick uh, on the field and, and really locked in and, and just kind of review what we've gotten in the last two days 
Um, you know, we do take some time, you know, we cheat a little bit on Tuesdays where we can compete in some drills. And sometimes we're like, hey, this team that we're playing on Saturday does this really well, but this could also help us. So let's practice, you know, our, our, you know, offense. Let's have you guys do this, which could also help them from a skill set, but also is actually preparing yeah. us for, for, for Saturday. So that, that's pretty much our week. And, and we've, we've followed it. Um, we have a different, um, you know, we have a style of conditioning that we do uh, Tuesdays. We call it our, our lag day. Um, and we're, that's our hardest conditioning day. So Monday is a little bit more anaerobic. Um, and then Tuesdays are like a really hard conditioning day. And then we kind of tailor back as we get ready for Saturday. Tell me about as the season goes on, how much do your schemes evolve versus just stay the same and, and get better? In other words, how often does your offense, like you start adding yeah. wrinkles and things that you maybe didn't even, you see somebody do something like, man, we should do that. Or, um, you know, realize that your personnel is a little different because of an injury or because guys yeah. have developed or you just didn't know something. How often do you evolve stuff at different in the different phases of the game? I would say they're small tweaks weekly. And yep. then depending on how the season, I think we're open for, uh, you know, adaptation. But, you know, if the season's going well and you're playing well, you know, you don't want to fix it if it's not broke so right. there's a really fine line line between making some small adjustments because you know there's so much film out there and such great coaches that eventually if you just do the same thing over and over again you know people are going to figure out a way to defend it but mm -hmm. you know i think one of the things that our staff does really well is we try to give a, as we're implementing things we don't have one certain way of doing things we try to give our guys options um, and at, like there's options on the clear, there's options, um, decisions that you can make on defense and then guys get comfortable. Um, I, I think that allows us to, to put it, be in the same set or doing the same thing schematically, but might be a little bit different because of a way a player reads the, the situation. So there's a little bit of difference that could be the same play in a, the following week that our, our kid might just make a different read or make a different play. And I think that's really uh, the cool, you know, a cool thing of the freedom that we give our players. We try not to be too structured, both offensive and defensive. We, we know we need to be, um, you know, we need to have a little bit of structure and a little bit of, a, um, you know, rules. But at the end of the day, I think some of the um, variability that we allow our guys, you know, allows us to, to, to play at a high level and, and be a little bit less scoutable. You talked a little bit in the earlier about how the fall is such a player development uh, focus for you at BU. First, can you talk about that and kind of how you approach it? And then secondly, um, how do you approach it in season? Yeah, I mean, it's um, – I'll probably answer your second question first. It, it's challenging. You know, you really have to catch yourself in season because – you are so results driven and it's like, well, okay, I'm staring down a great team in Loyola and I, I, I just want to get ready for Loyola. And if you're not careful, you know, you find yourself just really focused on Loyola. And, you know, I, I think learned really, really well from Andy and, and certainly coach Lippo and, and coach Lattimore and, and coach Moreland now and some other good assistants that we've had, um, you know, a lot of it, like, sometimes we just got to worry about ourselves. And, and there's, you know, even though we have, um, 
you know, a, a pretty standard structure that we do. There have been Wednesdays that were like, you know, we just need to get better this week and not worry about our, like Saturday we'll take care of ourselves and we need some prep, but uh, we've made decisions where Wednesday's practice and we tell our guys, we're, we're very transparent with our guys um, with what we do and, and ask for a lot of feedback when it comes to how they feel and just making sure we've taken Wednesdays off just because we thought we were worn down. Um, but Wednesdays have been, we're, we're not even going to talk about our opponent on Saturday. We're just going to work on ourselves and get better. And um, I, I think our staff does a really good job. So it is challenging, but we try to at least find, you know, with the hour, we typically don't practice over 90 minutes. Um, if a practice is 90 minutes, we try to find 20 to 25 minutes a day to do player development. And whether, whether it's shooting or dodging or some skill that we're working on defensively, communication, slide packages, like those those things, uh, stick work certainly for defensemen uh, to, to just make sure it's it's just not all schematics and, and scheme. Um, you know, out of season or, you know, in the fall, not out of season, but in the fall, it's a lot easier uh, to do because you're not preparing for, for an opponent. So right. – um, a lot, you know, I think coach Slipo does a great job. He's kind of has, you know, his, his system of how he likes to develop offensive players. Um, you know, coach Lattimore, you know, is with the defensive players the majority of the time, but, but also has a really good sense of, um, you know, he's big into stick work and, you know, has kind of brought his, you know, Carolina background and the other places that he's been. So he's very adept at, at coaching skills as well. And, you know, the three of us, you know, put our heads together and try to, you know, design practices and individuals so that that guys are are constantly working on their skills, getting better. And, and I, I'm really proud of the fact. I think for the most part, when people leave here, um, you can see that they're better players than when they arrived. And that's uh, you know, a tribute to our coaching staff and and our players for working hard and buying into you know the way that we do develop players. I love it, and I want it. I want to hear some specifics. Like, how do you, for example, teach? players to be better Dodgers. So let's say you want to teach a MIDI. How do you teach a MIDI who's going to face a short stick a lot of the time? How do you, what are the things yeah. that you, that you focus on to, to teach them to be um, a great Dodger in your Yeah, office? A lot of it's, yeah, it's a lot of it's footwork. I mean, it's, it comes down to, you know, how you approach, you know, number one, how the guy's approaching you, reading your defender, certain steps that you have, you know, Coach Slip is big into, he uses these circle uh, instead of using cones, he uses circles, and it's almost like you are um, pinpointing um, where you're stepping and how hard you step, um, how hard you're coming out of your dodge and, and kind of your hand placement. So these details that are critical um, as far as approaching the step, how your stick goes, how you transfer your hands, and then it's do it three times. And on that last one is your, is your finishing rep where you step out and then you're working on getting your hands and shooting the ball. So um, a lot of it is, you know, we do hockey stops where you're coming out of your, your dodge with, with forcefulness so that you can create separation. Um, you know, certainly, you know, how to attack depending on how players holding a stick um, you know, what it looks like when you're getting V held, you know, it, it, the, these games within the games, yeah. um, you know, we spent a lot of time just kind of dissecting different, again, options, you know, some guys like different rules. This is an option that's going to work against this type of hold. This is an option on a poor approach. So trying to just create all the scenarios that you can see 
uh, over the course of a game and the different things that, that you can do um, is something that, that I think is important. Yeah. And I think it's, it's one, that's one of those things that you could probably make a pretty big difference in season. When you think about in-season player development, I remember watching Duke and always marveling over how their middies seem to have a greater repertoire of moves every week. You know, all of a sudden yeah. you see like Shapuka kid doing some redodge that, you know, you haven't sure. ever seen him do before, you know, and um, I'm sure that's part of the nuances of the exciting part of the in-season is probably had been stuff they'd already covered. But now it's a matter of like, hey, these guys love to like hedge over for pretend you're not pretend you're rolling back and throwing back and reattack. Yeah. And it's as the players get more comfortable and they get confidence, I think within our system, we give them the freedom to try different things, whether it's in practice or in a game. Um, you know, we, you know, we, we allow creativity. I mean, it is not uncommon. And sometimes it, you know, I had to bite my tongue, but it's not uncommon for our guys to throw today in practice. Kid caught the ball on the wing, went behind his back to someone inside who caught the ball inside, threw it behind the back pass or behind the back shot and it went in. Um, and, and it's just that creativity and, you know, flair that I think is um, guys enjoy playing in our offense and, um, you know, have fun playing, uh, you know, our style of lacrosse. And, you know, I, again, every now and again, we throw one away and you probably could just finish it, you know, shooting the ball overhand. But, you know, I think that's creativity and, and having those conversations, the proper time to use it, the correct time uh, and when it can be effective and when it's the, the, the appropriate time. You mentioned your your style of lacrosse. What What is your – how would you sort of characterize the way you guys play offense at BU? I would say we're, we're, we're pretty um, – I would certainly say we're free-flowing. Um, guys um, guys can – are top six. Uh, everybody can play behind the cage. Um, let's say five out of the six guys are very comfortable outside of the box. Um, I say everyone in our top six is comfortable from the wing, low wing. So they're interchangeable. Um, I think guys – I think what makes us pretty special is we're very two-handed. I think that's something that we've done a really good job of recruiting is guys that um, can play both right-handed and left-handed and can play at a really high level. You know, when you talk about, I mean, I think we have probably three guys, you know, we do little R, big R, and, you know, sometimes a guy just gets one hand. Um, I would say we three or four of our top six are both left-handed, right-handed, where, you, you know, they can do – the same skill set with almost ambidextrous. And, and I think that's, that makes us hard to defend. So um, I, I would say, you know, certainly we play up tempo. Um, you know, we are looking to push the transition. We do try to create um, offensive off of our 10 man ride. Um, so we do try to score easy goals. I think that's been a philosophy since we've been in the Patriot league. It's typically your armies and your navies and, uh, Lehigh's have played such good team defense, six on six defense, that it's it really behooves you if you can get some easy goals uh, in transition. So I think that's been something that we've always tried to uh, incorporate. So you know we do like to play a, a bland a brand of tra transition lacrosse, unsettled lacrosse, um, but I think we do take chances, educated chances, um, and I think it's pretty free flowing. How much two man game do you guys play? A lot, yeah. Um, you know I think we. 
play big, big, we play big, little, we dot from behind, you know, we dot from the wing. Um, I would say it's 25%, you know, we passed on pick down and transition. So uh, I would say it's, it's probably a quarter of our offense. Got it. So how would you, um, how would you characterize the way you guys play defense? Uh, aggressive. Um, I would say we are disruptive. I would say that we are best as a sum of our parts and not individuals. Um, I would say we love to cause havoc. Um, and I'd say we're not afraid to slide. So I, I think um, Coach Lattimore has a saying, two slides are better than one or two slides are better than none. Um, and it's quite often that, you know, we, we got multiple guys sliding the ball and that's okay. Yeah. Um, you it know, is amazing to watch so, defense. It's unique. Yeah, it is. It is unique. And um, it's, it, it puts ball pressure. We, we think we're of the philosophy that there's a lot of really good players. And if you allow them to completely dictate to your defense that, um, you know, you, they're probably going to be successful and, and create some high, scoring opportunities and if you can take a little bit of the fight to them and and kind of dictate a little bit to them and put them in pressure spots in certain situations um you got a shot at maybe putting the ball on the ground or creating a turnover and or, or batting a pass down and, and we certainly work hard on you know having recruiting kids with great anticipation and great sticks and then be able to get that ball off the ground and um you know it's something that uh you know all, all of my defenses and certainly coach Lattimore is kind of taking our defense to the next level but it's something that we're very comfortable recruiting so in, in a world of people trying not to slide to create offense, um, coming off a few decades of early slide, thanks to the Princeton yeah. defense, um, yeah. would you say you guys kind of play like Princeton defense or is it something very different from the early slide uh, Princeton defense of the old days? Um, I'd say it's pretty similar. Um, I would say what's maybe a, a little bit different is um, probably in our recovery, like we're quick to then slide again. And I'm not sure if Princeton, I felt like sometimes Princeton got that first slide and then they kind of hunkered down a little bit and played, you know, sound team defense. And not that we're not playing sound team defense, but um, it's a little bit of a continue, continuum of, of sliding if, if we need to. And then we're, we're pretty much in – in motion and, you know, we're kind of daring you to throw skips and, um, you know, I, I would say that, I, you know, Princeton had some great individual defenders and not that we don't, but we don't rely on, you know, they had certain guys certainly that were playing around the cage that didn't slide. We're not afraid to support our poles as well. Right. So you've got this balance of ball pressure. You're talking about aggressive and mm -hmm. early slide. Yep. So does that create a lot of turnovers? Because just from the, the the reality of you're putting pressure on, now they have to really work hard to to escape the pressure, which means they're going to have to kind of turn the corner and dodge you. Which now they've got a guy coming to their face, and you know potential uh, trail check opportunities and and disruptiveness that way. Is that is that kind of as opposed to I'm just going to give you the alley and let you dodge and see the field? Yeah, I mean we're constantly in motion and we're constantly. You know, if we're sending two to the ball, we have a, a short number in front of you. So a lot of times teams 
you know, it's, it's kind of like a, a double-edged sword, you know, you know, it's, it's kind of like a high leverage point. Um, you know, do we have enough ball pressure? Are we good enough on our backside to be able to cover five with four? And can we have good enough anticipation that if a pass is thrown to a high leverage spot, can we either deflect the pass, you know, check a guy so he can't catch the ball or make a play once he catches and goes to shoot it to create a turnover. So there's, you know, within possession, there's probably four or five high leverage situations that we work at getting really good at, um, you know, sometimes that, you know, and sometimes we're, we're late and they throw the ball inside and it looks stupid. You know what I mean? Like you're, you slide through the ball and the backside guy who's supposed to be inside misses his assignment. They throw the ball and he dunks it on the goalie and you're like, Oh, oh man, that, that wasn't great. And you just have to, you know, trust your team. There's a lot of trust. And I think that's, that's really, really the cool part about it is when, when we truly play a team defense. Um, and, and I think it's, it's really cool in that respect that we have, you know, goal t- excluding the goalie, we have six guys that really need to be connected and really, understand how we're moving in order to make sure we're covering up the right pressure points so that we don't give up really high scoring opportunities. Um, and, and then certainly teams try to move the ball quickly and, you know, throw skips and then we have to have defenses to, to those, you know, great players and, yeah. and great uh, teams that can move the ball quickly. How matchup conscious are you guys? Mm, not, not don't care. Yeah. Don't care. How about recovering to the backside? Do you try to recover to the backside with poles as opposed to shorts? Or you just don't care. Don't Don't care. care. Awesome. I really am excited to uh, watch you guys play some defense this year. I was very intrigued last year and uh, am fired up to check it out. Um, So let's talk a little bit about, um, let's talk a little bit about two-man game defense. Um, Yeah. You believe in like being multiple? And doing a lot of different things, yeah. you guys try to do, you know, basically the same thing. How do you view? I mean, that? we 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 have our base package, um, and depending on where the pick is and how far out it is, you know, we can do different things. Um, you know, our our base package is we call it off. It's not. It's kind of self explanatory. Um, the the man who is set it, who is receiving, whose man is setting the pick. He steps off, and that allows our the man on the ball to kind of go through, mm-hmm. um, you know, unmolested. Um, we like, you know, that's our base package. When the ball's behind and they're in big little, we keep five above the cage, um, and allows us to to help where, where necessary. Um, you know, certainly we could we do have packages where we go behind the cage and either switch or you know you you have the slap the hard slap and you know we have, we have different things that we we can do um yeah. but I, I would say it's against really good teams kind of need to be multiple um yeah. because if you just sit in one defense good players kind of understand the weaknesses of it and where it can be attacked and you know through the course of the game they become comfortable and they, they kind of create really high scoring opportunities if you're not multiple yeah well, you're in one. You're in one league that is like a gauntlet. I mean, it's just unbelievable to watch the gauntlet yeah. of the Patriot League. How good it was last year. How good it's probably going to be again this year um, with teams that like literally can beat anybody on their schedule. Um, and um, 
what's it like to prepare for that? How do you think about preparing for the whole year? And how much do you sort of prepare your own schemes towards being able to, you know, face your, your conference opponents? It's, it's crazy because it, every team is really so different. I mean, that is crazy. like, it, it's real. And, and, you know, it's funny because it used to be, and I, I probably feel teams now feel that way about BU because it used to be Bucknell and, and obviously with coach Lattimore have a ton of respect for, for coach Federaca and like with, with Judd spending some time with Frank and then coming over and, you know, really appreciating what Frank has done. They used to be the one that you were like, Oh my God, we're going to 10 man us and they're going to like bail guys. We're going to pick some fun. It's going to be great. Like, but now I feel like that's a little bit of us, you know, we're 10 man and, um, maybe even more so than, than Bucknell, um, you know, not, we're slot, you know, you're playing, you know, a heavy slide defense, which you have to obviously prepare for. And, um, but, you know, as we look at it from BU's perspective, um, you know, the first thing I'll say is it, there's just great coaches. I mean, there, there's really not, um, you know, a coach that you can line up and just say, Hey, I think we're going to have the coaching advantage. And they're all really well versed and, sound lacrosse they all have their own you know schemes that that, that they they kind of have have mastered and they all have these little bit of um you know things that are unique to their programs that, that you have to prepare for um and then you know certainly have so much respect for you know the the guys that have kind of been at the top of the league for um you know traditional powerhouses and the navies and the Loyolas and the armies and the guys who just done a year over year you know a lot, a lot of credit to them and um you know a lot of admiration for, for those coaching staffs and those programs who do you have on the uh, schedule out of conference this year um we have open up with vermont uh then we play bryant coach ross you know you know be interested to see uh you know what it, you know what excitement and infusion he has for that program then we have umass then we start our conference play, and then we have two midweeks. We have Yale and Harvard uh, as two midweeks. Nice. I saw those games yeah, last night. Yeah, yeah. Harvard was a heartbreaker. Yeah. Yeah. And then Yale, Yale kind of got the best of us a little bit. They had a big second quarter on us. So excited to play, play, play those guys down there. Yeah, totally. Um, and how many, how many home, how many away? Uh, five home eight away. It just was one of those. We had a little bit of a scheduling snafu that was supposed to be six and eight. And uh, we just lost a game that we were unexpected. So um, we'll, we'll kind of get it's scheduling as you probably remember is because oh, yeah. it is a huge pain in the pain in the ass. And sometimes it works great. Uh, you'd like it to be seven and seven, but sometimes it just, you know, it fluctuates and you're just trying to get it. So we'll flip next year, but this, I like it seven and seven. Uh, last yeah. year we were eight home, six away, and this year we're just we're just one one off of that. Or you could be like Carolina and have like twelve home and two away. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. We almost we almost got one. We we almost made thirteen home <laughs> games. We were looking to fly down there, just couldn't work it out. Um, talk to me a little bit about um from a recruiting perspective when you think about the kind of kids you want to bring in to fit the way BU plays yeah. um, starting yeah. defensively. How do you look at defensive players and, and sort of figure out how, you know, how you're going to get somebody that's going to be able to fit this, in, this truly team defensive system. How do you judge if a guy's, how do you tell if they're smart? I mean, they got to. Yeah. yeah. 
I would say certainly the first thing we look for is can the can the kid handle handle a stick? I mean, it's really? just we just really value, well, at least I do, and, and I, I think Coach Slide. I don't want to speak for Coach Slide anymore, but um, just having ball skills, I, I, I just feel is almost necessary in the in the way that we play. Uh, and in today's lacrosse, I just feel if you can't pick the ball up and you give teams extra opportunities or you can't clear the ball, it's almost like a death sentence if you're giving these offenses extra opportunities when you're tired. So it's it's just really critical for us to recruit kids that can get the ball off the ground, can intercept passes and have good enough sticks to, to be effective in the clearing game. Uh, other than that, you know, we, we do like athleticism. I mean, we, we do like kids that, that can move. Um, but it's not this like, you know, everybody likes kids with great feet, but it's it's not as if we're obsessed with feet. And and it's just and I say that because just the way we play team defense, it's not necessarily a must that you have wonderful feet and we don't have to slide to you and you can play great one on one defense and you can keep your man in front of you. At certain times that that's helpful and it's valuable, but I don't think it's the number one thing that that we're you know, most concerned with, um, you know, we like kids that are athletic and strong. We don't need an overbearing physical presence. Um, it's nice to have one quarterback. We do try to recruit that in every class and that, you know, I, it, I think sometimes it can be easy to evaluate in club tournaments and sometimes in high school, because especially in club tournaments where communication you're, you're dealing with different players and I think if you're a student enough and you look close enough, you can tell who the communicators are and who the communicators aren't. Um, and we try to find like an A plus communicator um, in every class and trying to figure out who that is, because at the end of the day, typically we have guys, we have some guys that flow really nicely together, but we usually have one, one player on our defense that is quarterbacking it it's hard to ask that to be your goalie just because they have so many other responsibilities and you know they have to stop a hundred mile an hour shot so you know you'd rather be one of your uh field players so you know that's critical as well so i think trying to find a communicator guys that are ball skills and, and not really get caught up with you know you know like kids be athletic but it's not like a deal breaker if they're not and frankly jamie Size, some of the best guys we've ever had have been, you know, 5'10", 5'9", you know, six foot. Um, we're not caught up with we need 6'6", six, 6'2", six, 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 It's just we've been successful without it. So, um, you know, certainly we have a 6'3", six, 6'4", six, Patrick Morrison, who's excellent, but he has a basketball background, has great feet, moves really well, has a great stick. So he kind of – he fits our mold. He just happens to be 6'3". So um, it's uh, – I think we kind of have a, a type that we like, um, and it, it's it's really worked for us. I love that. I, I tell all the polls I work with, you, you should aspire to be good enough to be on your high school man-up team. I'm not saying you will be on your man-up team, but that's yeah. the level of skill that you should have if you think you're going to be pre-skilled and want to be able to play college lacrosse. Yeah, if you're being talked about, if your high school coach is considering you, that that's probably a really good place to start. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you kind of play uh, positionless lacrosse, it sounds like. Does that mean you kind of recruit positionless offensive players, or do you sort of look for certain prototypes? I would say the only position we like to like absolutely have is we need a quarterback type every two years. Um, you know, we, we've been fortunate enough to have Louis Perfetto, 
um, you know, as a, he'll be a four-year starter and, you know, most likely returning for his fifth year, you know, just finalizing the paperwork and things like that. But, you know, we haven't had to worry about it, but that's kind of like, you need someone who can be your quarterback and, and that's really important. But other than that, we just recruit offensive players and some year, you know, we typically take seven or eight offensive players in a class and some, some years on paper, there'll be five attackmen, and two middies. And then the next year we'll have five middies and, and two attackmen. It's just guys that we think um, we don't play two way middies. So there's not this huge, you know, concern that, okay, you got to play defense and all of our guys learn defense and they have to be able to do basic defensive concepts. They have to understand how to ride, but it's not as if we get so caught up in it that it's like, we can't recruit you unless you are athletic enough to play. If you're skilled, smart, can beat your man. And, you know, I, I would say we look for being two handed is one of the primary things. Um, you know, certainly you could be recruited by BU. When you talk about this um, desire to have two-handed players and the advantages that it can give you, where are those advantages, you know, in your offense? I mean, clearly if you're in the middle of the field, you yeah. can either hand. Um, but if you're on a wing, you can only play on one side at a time. How do you take advantage of the two-handed player I mean, if you got a lefty, isn't he going to probably be on the lefty side most of the time? And don't you probably want his lefty shot most of the time? We we do, but I think some of our formless offensive sets and having guys be able to go to different spots in the field, I think it's really challenging for a close defenseman to all of a sudden have to go play up top or you know, certainly short sticks are used to being inverted and sometimes LSMs are, but just being multifaceted and being able to dot from different places and different mm-hmm. sides of the field um, and just having different moves. If, you, if you're sure you're on the left in a wing and, and certainly, you know, there's certain guys that have 15 yard range and they can shoot the ball and, and, and that opens up their game because of their range. Yeah. Um, and, but if you're two handed and you're coming up to hash, you know, guy doesn't know if he's if he's waiting on you if you're left-handed and you're coming up the hash and he knows that you can only turn the corner because you really don't have much of a threat to to go question mark or, or roll back you know it just opens up your options to be able to to do both moves so there's certain situations where i think it's advantage certainly if you're from if you find yourself at x which all three of our attackmen can find themselves that we invert quite often like if you find yourself at x and you know, the ball is coming down the alley and you catch it and you can only play right-handed. You have to catch the ball, you know, called hips. You catch it across your body. That takes an extra step. And then it just takes more time as opposed to just catching it like this and being able to just throw it with either hand. So there's small, small advantages. I I certainly, I will say this, and, and this is probably one of, you know, not my biggest regrets, but one thing that just haven't been able to have a great Canadian influence. I just, just haven't been able to to recruit that type of player where, you know, it, it it's really fit uh, our style. We haven't been able to just figure out getting top Canadian recruits. We've only had two in our history. So we, we played a little bit more of a traditional two-handed yeah. sets um, and have recruited that way. Um, we certainly see the value and, um, you know, certainly our lefty attackman, I would say he has his hand in his stick 80% of the time in his left hand, but he's certainly capable right-handed, but yeah. he does the majority of his work with his left hand. Um, but, 
I, I think it's been a little bit of an advantage for us to be able to, and, and the way that we play to be able to have kids that are, that are two handed. Yeah, no doubt. And plus righties usually can have a pretty good left. Speaking yeah, of, they, they, they typically, speaking they, as a left, they typically do. Yeah, I'm taking down our roster. Our two lefties are all right. I mean, they, I mean, they can do it. They just can't. You just would rather not have them shoot with it so much as uh, shoot with their left, you know? Yeah, and then they'd rather not. They'd rather <laughs> do something cool left, left-handed. Well, the ability to split to both hands, like you said, to be able to come up the hashes and and, and shoot a question mark or, you know, um, st- step away and shoot, you know, or come topside and shoot a shot with, with angle is key. I mean, generally, you want shots with better angle, you know, than yep. worse angle. So getting to the middle would probably be the most important thing. But certainly having the flexibility to split to both hands to the middle and, and generate is huge. And I, I would say on the drifts, it's huge to be able to be two-handed. Yep. You can kind of drift anywhere. Yep. Especially at X, you know, it's like tough when you got like a lefty fading behind and you got a great drift opportunity and he has to come around and try to backhand it to somebody. So, sure, sure. And and that's kind of certainly with the game. I would say the game has kind of maybe transitioned a little bit to being one handed. You know, you see that attackman coming around the cage all the time and you know, that, that frustrates me. And then we have some guys that can do it and they're, they're skilled enough to do it, but you know, they come around, I'm just like, we'll just put it, create angle and, and finish it, you know, give yourself way more opportunity. And they do create angle with their right hand when they come around, come up, coming up the left hash, but sometimes they don't, you know what I mean? And um, so uh, you can skin a cat, you know, different ways, obviously. <laughs> How do you recruit a goalie? Oh God. <laughs> Sometimes well, sometimes not well. Um, you know, I think we we've done pretty well at, at BU. Um, you know, goalie and faceoffs are, you know, it's it's a little bit of a feel. It's a little bit. I, I and I say this, and, and I pretty much have said this to every goalie and faceoff recruit. I know how stressed you are because every school is only taking one, and I don't want to diminish that but i'm as stressed as you are about filling our goalie <laughs> position because um you know certainly being and and i'm not telling like if you think about it i'm not telling you anything that you don't know and and the goalies i, I empathize with them because i know they're on the other side of the phone call or on the other side of um you know going through the same exact thing but you know you everybody has their list and you have 10 guys on your list and you're like, Oh, you know, call number one. Oh my God. Number one is, is, you know, interested in BU. So he's going to come on a visit. Well, you know, he says, Hey, I'm not going to come. I'm going to come on a visit, but it's going to be the third weekend in September. And you're like, all right, well, what does that mean? Does that mean you're really interested or, you know, you have the other two weekends and, and you're trying to figure it out, but you're, you know, you don't want to, you, know, you want to be direct, but you don't want to turn the kid off. And, you, you know, they're, they're playing a game and you're trying to figure it out. Meanwhile, two, three, and four are like off the board immediately. And now you're sitting there, five really wants to come to BU, but number one's coming in three weeks. And it's just, and, and you know, we've had years where we've waited for number one and we've lost two through eight. And, you know, and then one's like, oh, it came down to you and School X and I'm going to School X. And you're like, ah, you know, and yeah. it's just it's and not only are you, are you trying to 
make sure you get your evaluation right. And that, and this is even saying you got your evaluation right. Right. You're that's, just saying, that's the thing. I mean, like you might, you might lose two through eight and actually nine might be the best goalie that you, that you saw. Sure. Exactly. And, and it's about development. And then certainly with, it's just really interesting too, with these goalie schools and face-off guys and, you know, everyone's got their guy and it's just, and, you know, they're running a business. So they're trying to push their guys and, and trying to like weed through every coach because, you know, it's, it's really hard. It's really hard. And, um, you know, film can be, you know, if you're not super technical, which, which I'm not, from a goalie standpoint, it's, it's like, I'm more of a feel guy. I'm just like, that guy looks like he's a good goalie. And, yeah. you know, I, I'm a, I'm a big, um, and, and this is just something that I, I don't know if I've taught myself. I don't, I, I think it's a really bad thing is when goalies, like if goals are going to go in, but I, I really look for are the goalies on the shot. Like if a goalie isn't like if balls going high, or the goalie's guessing, or, you know, certainly, you know, a flopper or something like that, like that kind of downgrades guys for me. But I, I really like, and we had this kid, Christian Carson Bannister, who, you know, was a four-time starter, you know, third-team All-American, you know, had a cup of coffee in, in the MLL. Like, he was just on every – he knew where every shot was going. And and it just, like, kind of taught me if, if that – you're not going to save every shot, but if you at least have a sense of what how shooters shoot, where they shoot the ball and and maybe you're a second late or, but you know, that's really critical to me is just that goalies kind of understand shooters in the position and have a really good feel for where the ball is going so that they at least give themselves a chance to, to save it. And they're not going to save every, every shot. And sometimes there's terrific shots, but, but this kind of this concept of goalies understanding where the ball is going and being on shots is important to me. There's certain shots that you're just not going to react to, right? Because they're just too close. They're too close or they're too fast or too well positioned or, you know, you have traffic in front of you. Yeah, there's – I mean, there's a reason that the best goalies, you know, are high 50s. You know, like there's four – 40% are going to go in. So there's just some shots that you're just not um, – you know, and, and we try to – you know, certainly positioning is huge. We, we have had success in recruiting some bigger goalies, but our backup goalie right now is terrific, and he's he's on the smaller side. He's terrific. Yeah. So we're not um, we're not going to recruit a guy just because, you know, he's not our, our – tip- you know, our guys – our last three guys have been pretty big, um, taking up a lot of cage, but all three of them have moved really well. So it's yeah. – um, you know, and we 10-man, so that's part of it too, and that's the thing – you know, Garber was he ended up at, at 55% last year, but, you know, 14 goals went in that he wasn't even in the net where teams threw it in an open net. So, you know, you got to consider that too. Well, um, you should um, just get a defenseman to hop in there and then it can go against. Yeah, them. we got a couple of saves. Yeah. yeah couple <laughs> saves. Who gets the credit for the save and the goals if there's a defenseman in there? Uh, he, I, he, the, the kid does. The kid does. Yeah. He gets- <laughs> We have uh, this kid, the goaler. He had two saves last year. He was on on the stat. You know what's it's really funny weird? too? Because sorry, what? God, uh, it's just fun. the the defenseman gets so mad when they miss it. Like if they oh, yeah. the goal if the goalie's on the adjacent and it's coming down and the and the defenseman it's like in the goal and the guy shoots it and like guys like slap their stick yeah. and they get so mad. I'm like I'm supposed to save it, but they get they get so mad. I thought it very very funny. He doesn't want to be a hero on that one. 
you know, you know, you know, you know what's so so strange is and I've, I've talked about this on the podcast before but is if you look at like the best goalies in the world most of them are from like mid-majors they were not the top recruits in the country right yeah. and so you know whether it's Albany or Hofstra or St. Bonas. Of course you got, you know, UVA with gets out there, but like, think about it, you, you know, and, yeah. and Wars from Maryland, but you're not seeing the, the first pick in the, you know, high school yeah. draft or even the top, you know, you don't see the top 10 picks. You're seeing Bellarmine and these guys going yeah. on and on and on. And, um, you know, what, what do you, what do you take, you know, what do you extrapolate from that? You know, if you're sort of looking at that, what does that tell you about goalies, the way they develop or the way they're recruited or the way they're viewed? Cause all these guys are very unorthodox too. I, I mean, or a lot of a little bit of a, yeah, it's a little bit of a numbers game. Like you're only, you're only taking one and you're evaluating, you know, certainly if you, if you're using the top 10 programs, you know, you have to make it a sit, you know, there's hundreds and hundreds of goalies that you have to decide on. And like, it's a little bit of a numbers game that, you know, you, it's probably more likely that you're going to get it wrong. Than you get it Just, you know, especially picking guys two years before they're actually going to get to you. Um, and you don't have the shooters, you know, high school shooters are getting better, but they're not, seeing the type of shots that they're going to see in college. So how they're going to react when the bullets start flying and can they keep their calm? I mean, every goalie goes through a stage where they're not seeing the ball great and everything's going in and can, are you mentally tough enough mm -hmm. to be able to withstand that? And, and yeah, that's, that's really what it comes. Yeah. That's, that's the hard part. It is. That's part of the hard part. I think part of the hard part too, is just, you know, getting the fool's gold of somebody that's like standing on their head, but, but they're really just dip, they dip on every low shot. And next thing you know, sure, they're just going to be in trouble. But, but I also think sometimes I think people get caught up in technique, even though they'll say like, I just want someone who stops the ball, but then they'll be like, yeah, yeah you know, I don't love their technique. And I think it's this balance between how they're stopping the ball and, you know, I, I always laugh and I'm like, yeah, Dylan Ward probably would have gotten crossed off a lot of recruiting um, lists when he was outside the crease making a save <laughs> on a, on a time right. wing shot. But, but it, sure. in fact, um, it does make sense to a certain degree. Um, and he certainly had success um, over the course of the years. So I don't know. It's, it, it is, it is crazy. The, the last question I have um, on goalies and faceoff guys is how important is it? Do you think it is for them? to be good enough to be on their uh, high school man up team skill wise. Um, How much do you want skilled goalies or really skilled Fogos? Do you, do it you helps. It, it helps, but they're really hard to find Jamie. I mean, they're so hard to find. And I, I think it's because, you know, they spend so much time on their, you know, on their, their, you know, not real job, but their, their main job. And that's stopping the ball and, and being on the whistle. And, um, you know, I, I think we have eliminated some goalies and faceoff guys because their skills were so bad. Yeah. Um, I think they need to be competent. It, it certainly helps. I, I'm assuming the way that Loyola recruits that they don't, it's probably, you could cross up the list if you don't have a 
B to B plus stick as a goalie, you know, mm-hmm. the way that they like to get the ball out. And, yeah. um, you know, we, I think we put a little bit more stock in actually stopping the ball. And if you have an adequate stick, it's okay. Um, we feel like we can develop that. And certainly with the face-off guy, I mean, we had a kid, the first kid we ever recruited to be used a face-off guy. I mean, he could have played man up for us. He shot the living crap out of the ball, but he was from Florida and nobody recruited him. It's kind of like, I think it's the same way with, face-off guys it yeah. is with goalies that some mm-hmm. of these mid-majors have unbelievable guys that no one's ever heard of and these guys are amazing and um you know some of them have the skill set to play offense and um but yeah that, there was a kid sam talco i mean he he might have been the best face-off guy i've ever been around as far as talent being able to the his quick hands you know coupled with his offensive ability i mean he was he could literally run down the alley like scored three goals against Duke, you know, in a game first, first, you know, it was our last game. And I don't, you know, they, we were two in 11, but I don't think they prepared quite as, you know, I think they knew they had the more talented team, but I don't think they prepared for Sam pops the first one forward and scores and scored three more. So, um, you know, certainly, uh, yeah, he was, he was an unreal player. So um, yeah, Yeah. but it's just funny. I mean, it's just those guys, it's such a, it's such a niche skill that you can, if you really work on it, um, you can be really good at it. And I think that's the cool thing about our sport. RP, thanks so much for coming on, man. I love talking lacrosse with you. Very excited to see uh, the Terriers in 2023. Great. Thanks, Jamie. See you soon. Have a great one and uh, good luck. We'll be in touch.